This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin, will call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin death row, and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much, but then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out, so that you're. No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. I'm gonna, that's a good one, man. No, I'll tell you why. Look, the first thing. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And today we have a case that, Bill, you wanted to do because you have studied it and you have kind of a a different take than the just myriad of journalists that have speculated on this case. A lot of it I think you are going to find to be kind of bogus. That's Jack the Ripper. I think it's the first one. It's definitely the oldest case we've done, right? It is, yeah. Jack the Ripper, 1888. He's you know, known as like, the father of serial killers, but he's none of the above. But it's a very interesting case. Highly uh, interesting. There's been movies, documentaries, speculation for you know, over 100 years. And uh, Matt and I are going to break the case down a little bit, give you our opinion, and I want to dive into who this guy was, why he did what he did, and what happened to him. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. Yeah, before that, we have two listener-submitted questions. We do appreciate your questions. Keep them coming. I check the Instagram and Facebook accounts at Death Row Diaries. So send us a message. And speaking of which, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. So Sabrina from Calgary, Canada... She asks, hey, why in the 1970s and 80s was there this explosion of serial killers? You know, was this just a media thing that we noticed it more? Or what kind of factors led into this? And is that even a thing, yeah, I, I sure. guess I would add? Yeah, that's a very good question. That's probably the best question we've had. And obviously, 
been listening to podcasts on serial killers, and she knows what she's talking about. She's absolutely right. 70s and 80s were a an explosive period for serial killers, and especially California. I mean, you had guys who were just, you know, all these great names, like the Freeway Killer. There was, uh, you know, the Dating Game Killer, and all these guys that exploded onto the scene. And it was like almost in fad or the thing to do. But it, it had more to do with um, the whole science of catching these guys. Because during those periods, 70s, 80s, there was no DNA evidence. There was no um, the forensics that they have today. So, of course, these guys became very prolific. They were able to do it for long periods of time. They were virtually invisible. They became boogeymen. The, the media really fueled these guys because they're able to kill multiple people and leave a lot of evidence behind at least the media can pick up on all these different things. And, of course, it fueled this interest in them. But I would disagree that there's less serial killers today. They've just evolved more. Some of them. But, and the reason they're not around or you don't hear as many because they're getting caught quicker. They don't have these extensive uh, runs of 30, 40, 50 killings. And they catch them sooner. And I believe a lot of them also have become more refined, at least in their techniques. And their signatures are less obvious as they were in the 70s and 80s. And of course, those guys in the 70s, a lot of the bigger ones that we know about, the Night Stalker, those type of guys, they got caught, they came here. But look, I, I want the audience to know that there's more than 650,000 people, mostly women, that disappear every year in the United States. Let me repeat that. 650,000. We don't know where they went. So, a lot of serial killers are still out there. They're working where you least expect them. They're just not in the limelight as they used to be. So, what I always leave off with, be aware of your surroundings, your life could depend on it. Have everything to do with that. Yeah, that's an insane number. Lexi, also from Canada, she says, Bill, I know that you keep up on your physical fitness and everything, but have you ever tried yoga? I think Lexi is kind of a yogi and she might she might want you to, to kind of get into yoga. she asked that question because I've actually been practicing yoga since I was five years old. It's part of my martial arts training. I do about 11 to 14 minutes of meditation along with internal breathing. Then I go into uh, yoga, which is not the simple yoga that you see on television. It's, it's more yoga based in the martial arts, the centering of the body, the centering of the chi. And I go through my power uh, yoga practices. After I get done with that, then I usually go outside and put in about an hour and a half to two hours of physical work, which yoga is too. I mean, people who think yoga is for guys or, or women who are not as, they're not in shape. Look, it takes a great deal of 
not only flexibility, but strength, inner strength, core strength to do yoga. So I advise anybody to try it and don't judge that book by its cover. It takes a great deal of internal fortitude and strength to practice yoga at a high level. But I, I really appreciate that she brings it up. And uh, yeah, I totally agree. Yoga is a great way uh, to center yourself and to get great shape. So you're doing kind of tough guy yoga. You're doing extreme stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's tough guy yoga. There are some women that do yoga that I just sit there and go, wow, <laughs> that's intense. But yeah, I do, uh, I've been doing it for over 50 years. So I, I consider myself uh, adapt at it. I'm very good at it. I, I practice it. I love it. And uh, I, I advise for anybody. I suggest anybody try it. It's great. All right. Well, we appreciate your questions. And by the way, listeners, you're going to put on your radar patreon.com slash death row diaries. And we're going to start with some bonus content. The, the show will still be free, but we're going to start with some bonus content for our hardcore listeners that, you know, you can pay a certain amount, whatever you want, and you will get access to things that the public does not have access to. And we'll give you more on that later. Just, you know, keep that in mind. Now, Jack the Ripper, everyone knows the name. I guess this one thing I can see posing a difficulty here is that we don't know the identity of this guy, correct? We do not. He came on the scene very suddenly and he disappeared just as quickly. And the name... Jack the Ripper. That's, that's got to be one of the best serial killer names I've ever heard. And there's a good reason why they call him that, but it has to deal with him directly. So yeah, he's, he's the top of the food chain when it comes to serial killers because everybody knows who he is. So we set the scene this time in London. There's this influx of Irish immigrants, of Jewish immigrants, and this is the South End. This is slums, you know, unemployment is rampant, alcoholism is rampant. Point being, the reason I'm bringing it up is an awful lot of women, like a, a disproportionate number from recorded history, are finding themselves engaging in prostitution sometimes even like part-time, but really just to feed themselves or their families. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. And that's something that we don't see historians and people really talk about. It is the attitude, it is the, the environment in Whitechapel, which is just, it's a slum. It is ghetto. It is where the most, there are more beings than any other place in London. There is as you mentioned, alcohol is an influx of immigrants, and there is a lot of bad stuff going on. There's robberies, there's rapes, there's assaults, it's murder, it's really bad. So in this Whitechapel neighborhood, you want to call it that, you suddenly get a lot of murders. But these are so vicious, the ones that are attributed to Jack the Ripper, that everybody takes notice because the media is feeding it. It is really no different than what we have today 
when the media gives a serial killer a name and they pump it into the papers, into the news, not really the papers anymore because we have social media, but now, but and he said, he said, hey, he said, you know, we had the earlier question and the papers just go nuts over a serial killer and that's what's happening in Whitechapel when these particular murders Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And kind of like a few other killers, like Richard Ramirez, for example, initially had a certain nickname, and it didn't really stick. You know, the press decided, no, that's not good enough. So I think this guy was initially called Leather Apron, which is, uh, you know, it's okay. Kind of, I get a Texas Chainsaw vibe off of that. But do you happen to know when the Jack the Ripper name you know, became his name when everyone in that town knew that name? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, he had, he had two names prior. One was the Leather Apron, of course. The other one was the Whitechapel Murderer. And those names didn't really stick. But the name Jack the Ripper, and I believe this is why we had another a modern-day serial killer who did a similar thing, and that was ATK. He gave himself that name, and the papers and media grabbed it and ran with it. Very similar to Jack the Ripper. The name came from, the police department back then didn't have the type of forensics we have today, fingerprints, didn't have DNA, didn't have microscopes the way we do today to look at different fibers. So there was a lot of letters being sent into police to different districts claiming to be the murderer. One particular letter, uh, well, actually three, got the attention of the authorities. And these came out well into his spree of killing. And by the way, this all happened within about a three-month period. The letter was addressed from hell, and it was sent to George Lusk of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, which is kind of a, a neighborhood watch. These murders are happening, and the people were up in arms. They were very scared. So you had a bunch of men who, well, kind of macho guys, and they're running around Whitechapel with clubs, looking, according to them, for any suspicious characters. Now you can imagine how many people will probably beat to death just because these clowns are in their own thinking they're going to be confident. So... The name was in this letter, but this letter didn't come by itself. It came with half a kidney in ethanol, and it basically tells the person it's addressed to that he is the killer, that he's going to continue to kill. He finds it very uh, comical that they're referring to him as a surgeon or a person that could be a doctor. And he signs it, Jack the Ripper. 
that's where the name came from. It came from a letter. Yeah, because there were a few other letters that I think actually journalists admitted to kind of stoking the fires and writing their own letters, which is deplorable, but, you know, that might still happen for all we know. But when you're sending a kidney, I think there's little doubt this is the guy, right? Well, we'd like to think so. But back then, they didn't have DNA. They couldn't have tested the the woman whose kidney said it was. So we don't really know. We can speculate that, yeah, that's pretty extreme if you're sending a kidney and you're calling yourself Jack the Ripper and you're kind of playing with the person saying it's funny or he finds it amusing that you believe that he's a surgeon. Now, all of these letters, there's really three of them that really caught the attention of people. But, again, we don't know if Jack the Ripper actually sent them. But yeah, the kidney thing, that's a lot. And as we know, this guy really took the time to take people's body parts out. He was, he was, a, he was a beast. This guy was not your normal guy. Usually when you take body parts, it's usually because you're trying to dismember someone to transport them somewhere. This guy didn't. This is part of his makeup. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really fires the kindle of imagination, and, or it kindles the imagination when it comes to this guy, how violent he was. But when they receive this kidney, does the public know, does the press know, obviously the police and the medical examiners know that he was removing kidneys that was that was his thing but uh is is that like how how aware was everyone of is that his trademark or is that just does he remove all kinds of stuff besides the kidney well it's very interesting that you asked that because this this guy he comes on the scene and he is already killing people at this level so we have to take that into perspective. My position, my analysis, how I see this guy, he didn't start with, hold on. He didn't start off with Marianne Nichols as, which are the first of the five murders that are attributed to Jack the Ripper. There was a number of murders in that town at that time, but only five were at this level of violence. So, first of all, it's, it is my position that he did not start off this highly refined or evolved as a serial killer. This guy, in my opinion, was probably 27 years of age to around 40. And I know I began to sound like one of these profilers, but this is how I see it. I can't tell you who he is, but I can tell you what he was about. And that first murder wasn't his first because he's too highly evolved. He knows what he wants already. That only comes with experience and experiments. That's how serial killers work. It's, you have 60 seconds remaining. It's how every criminal evolves. You don't see a 60-year-old boy. Okay. Um, let me just apologize to the audience because... You know, we had to cut in and out because someone was in the microphone and my time was 
running around. I get 15 minutes between calls. So, man, I have to work through all this stuff. So, as I was saying, he was highly evolved already by the time they begins his five murders that are really a tribute to them. There was 11 murders in Whitechapel during this time, but five really matched his signature. And, and, and please understand that when experts talk about the motives of Randy, that is a learned behavior. That's how he perfects his style. And his motives of Randy is very highly evolved by the time, so highly evolved that he already has a signature. There is no way he started off with these five. He had been doing this before. Then let me step on a limb here again. He did not live in Whitechapel prior to these murders. He was doing this somewhere else. He was learning. He was re- he was refining his MO. And his signature by this time is very highly bought. So let's go into what a ritual is again. A ritual, I mean, a signature is a ritual. It's what that killer does uniquely. It's something that isn't necessary to successfully commit the crime. It's only necessary for the killer in his mind. It's for his psychological, emotional needs. Okay? We've all seen the baseball player come to the bat, and he hits 50 home runs, but he does a little ritual. He grabs the gloves, he opens his thing, he hits his hat, he touches his sleeve. That is his signature. That's his ritual. He has to do it. Not because it, he actually hits the ball further because of it. It's because he believes he has to. That's what a signature is. So, these murders, and I mean these murders because they are so highly evolved that one must take notice of what he did. So the first woman, which I consider the conical five, I mean pronouncing that completely wrong, but those five, the first one is Mary Jane Kelly. And they find her and she's in such a state that even law enforcement are sickened by what they see. She has um, very deep lacerations to her throat. Um, they, the wounds, it's just two deep wounds, but they cut so deeply, they hit her vertebrae. He is in such a state that he begins to stab the genitalia, the abdominals ripped open, causing the bowels to spill out. And he has several other stab wounds to the stomach, to the liver. It's a very gruesome scene, but that's all he, it's not all he does, but that is where he stops. So to look at him there, you see a serial killer that's already evolved. He knows what he wants, but he's doing this in the streets. He doesn't have all the time in the world to do it. He hits the throat twice to stop them from yelling or bringing attention to himself. But he has to work within minutes. He doesn't have an hour, half an hour. He has minutes. So that's his first murder attributed to Jack the Ripper. Well, it appears that he 
is going to this area because he knows that there's a lot of vulnerable people and people that the police may not really care about. And it's just an area where there's so much crime that your crimes can kind of blend in initially. It's pretty similar to like the Grim Sleeper comes to mind. Yeah, but the Grim Sleeper actually lived that neighborhood for decades. This guy, he appears suddenly. He did live in that area. I believe he also worked in the area because he only killed on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. So the likelihood that he worked Monday through Friday and then on Friday night, that's what he did for, for kicks, is probably pretty accurate. Or, this is another thought, that he actually traveled in to the weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then we had to do it and then left again. These are all speculations, ladies and gentlemen. We don't know who Jack the Ripper is, but we know what he was about. But do you think he was actually a medical professional? Because that's like the first thing that anyone, even uninitiated, just thinks like, well, he found a kidney, he must be a doctor. And he very well may could be, but I don't know if the police could have sussed out, you know, how many doctors are there in the area, how many leave home at night. I don't know. It, it just seems too obvious, but maybe you could just get away with obvious stuff back then, too. Yeah, my opinion, he was not a doctor. He had no medical training whatsoever. He was even a, vet, uh, a veterinarian. He was not. Uh, I don't believe that. I could take a lot of money on it. This guy was no doctor. This guy had a reason why he did what he did, and I'll explain with the second murder, that he jumps from what he did with the first one to what he does with Anne, Annie Chapman, who was the second person that he kills. Okay, so his second murder is on September 8th, it's Annie Chapman. And she's discovered the back steps of a backyard doorway at 29 Hanbury Streets. And as with Mary and Nichols, her throat is cut open with two deep slashes. Her stomach is completely opened up with a, a knife. And her stomach and intestines are removed and put over her right and left shoulder. He also removes the uterus, the bladder, and he removes the genitalia. Look, this guy right here is a sadist. There is no evidence of him having sexual intercourse or any kind of sexual contact with the victims. That could be misleading. We don't have black lights back then. We don't have DNA. We don't even know how to look for DNA back then. I don't believe that he actually had any sex with women. I don't believe that um, he engaged in any sexual intercourse that we've seen a lot of serial killers masturbate around the area. I believe the reason he took things with him is because he used it later to gratify himself. But the extreme violence that escalates with each one of the killings shows me that he's very angry, very upset at people, and at women specifically, and that he's taking out 
everything that he hates about a particular woman out on these particular women. These women are substitutes for the person that he hates, and that's why he's the type of violence against a person he probably doesn't even know. Uh, there are speculations that he could have been rebuffed by these women. Because they were prostitutes, he may have come up to them, tried to lure them or entice them to come with him, and they refused. I don't agree. I don't agree with that. The reason for this, many of the witnesses saw a similar man with the women, and they weren't struggling with him. They went along with him uh, on their own accord. And later on in the murders, we also have evidence that they went willingly with him. So I don't agree with that analysis. Well, do you think this is someone that had visited prostitutes before? A John? Absolutely. I believe that he went with them at one point or other prostitutes. He had problem performing. He was impotent. He, he, they may have made fun of him. He didn't feel... The, the right circumstances. There's a lot of reasoning why his anger escalates. But I believe that he visited them to kind of really get to know women in general, to really focus his anger on what he was... He had to figure himself out, and this took place prior to the five murders that took place in Whitechapel. Um, and as I said, this took place in a very short period of time. Serial killers that kill this quickly and this viciously can't stop. It's a tick they have inside them. So we have really, less than a month later, a very interesting situation. And remember I explained that serial killers learn they evolve when they're really good at what they do? We see this in Jack the Ripper. So let me explain. On September the 30th, 1888, at 1am off Dutchfield's Yard, off Brenner Street in Whitechapel, a woman by the name of Elizabeth Stride is cut across the throat, which severs her artery and trachea. Extremely difficult to do. You had to be pretty strong to do this. But she's found like that, and nothing else is done. Some people say, well, this murder wasn't him. Oh, yeah, it was Jack the Ripper. The problem was he was disturbed. Somebody came across him. Somebody disturbed him. He got nervous and he leaves. How do I know this? And people are like, well, there's no way you could know this. It's impossible to figure this guy out. You're wrong. And I'll tell you why. Because less than 40 minutes later, he strikes again. And he hits a woman by the name of Catherine. He murders a woman by the name of Catherine Edoz. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. And this woman is found in the corner of Mitri Square. Her throat is severed ear to ear. Her stomach is ripped open and intestines placed over her right shoulder. The section of her intestines are placed into her body and left arm. Her kidney, her uterus is removed. The face is mutilated. The nose is cut off. Her eyelids are cut off. He carves a triangle across her cheeks, and he cuts off her right earlobe. Then they find her apron, her bloody apron, in the entrance of a pediment with the writing in chalk above the door. It says, 
The Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. Which means kind of that they're blaming the Jews or trying to blame Jews for this, these murders. The police commissioner grabs that and immediately has it washed off because he doesn't want to write on his hands. So, first of all, I don't believe that Abram belonged to her. I believe someone took the opportunity to do that just to blame somebody. But the murder itself says a lot. They're acting very viciously. It only takes one slash across the throat to kill her. And he does it very soon after he misfires with Elizabeth Stride. That's how I know the first murder was him. He was interrupted, and he couldn't satisfy that tick. Remember I said about signatures? It gets them off. It's what gets them off. It's what he uses. You have 60 seconds remaining. He needs this to satisfy that tick, that thing inside of him. This is a perfect example. Elizabeth Stride didn't satisfy that, so he had to go that same night to satisfy that need, and he does so with Catherine Ibbles. So his behavior is becoming somehow even more reckless. He is he unraveling here? I don't think he's unraveling. I think he's getting better at what he does. He's enjoying it more. He's growing with each murder. And we see this because the fifth murder, which is Mary Jane Kelly, uh, is different than all the rest. She is found on November 9th, 1888 in a one-bedroom single living space where she lived. It was 13 Miller's Court. That's where she lived. But this is different. Jack the Ripper is upset. Jack the Ripper seems to be not comfortable with out in the open. He's not, he's doing everything he wants to do, but he's not enjoying it. He's rushed. It takes about three to five minutes to do what he's done on the street. And he's being interrupted. He, people are walking around. It's not what he wants. So this case, she's in her room and she's a prostitute. So she obviously let him in, which kind of throws out that whole thing that he was uncomfortable around women, he couldn't talk to them. This proves that he knew exactly what he was doing. He was very well-versed with women. He knew how to talk to them. Um, so much so that she lets him into her bedroom. There is no forced entry. There's not... Actually, when they find her, the, the door is barred shut. So he had time to do what he wanted to do, and we see this here. So what does he do? He cuts her throat all the way down to her spine. He cuts open the abdominal section. He removes organs. Those organs are the kidneys. He removes the uterus. He cuts out one of the breasts. He lays it beneath her head. He takes other parts of her and puts them by her right foot. On the bedside table, he puts parts of her stomach, her thighs. He cuts out her heart, but it's missing. He takes it with him. But he's in there for as long as he wants. And he's learning that if he 
killed indoors in their home, he can go on uninterrupted. And that's what he wants. So he's learning. As you can see, each murder changes slightly, gets better and better and better. He learns very quickly, which tells me he is also intelligent. This guy is not a dummy. A lot of guys say he's probably uneducated, which might be true, but he's intelligent. So, as you can see, this guy is getting better. This last murder that they, that they attribute to Jack the Ripper, he's indoors. He's taking his time. He's really enjoying what he's doing. And I say enjoy because in the matter that he kills, I believe that his instruments, in particular the knife, he's using it as a substitute for his impotence. So let me explain. A lot of rapist serial killers use their penis, for lack of a better word, as an instrument of destruction. They're using that to stab, to uh, really destroy the victim. In this case, I believe because of nervousness, because of where he's at, Jack the Ripper is impotent. He cannot perform sexually. So he uses the knife as a substitute for his penis. And as he's stabbing, he's stabbing the genitalia, he's stabbing, he's actually disfiguring, he's destroying the victim with a knife as a substitute for his penis, for his impotence. And his anger is because he can't perform. This is part of his anger. So, you know, we've gone through a structure, Matt, where you have five murders, and each one seems to be getting more prolific, more proficient, and he's discovering he likes to indoors. There's one murder that we have not spoken about. And a lot of guys, well, experts, don't associate it. So there was a murder on August the 7th, which is about 20 days before the first murder that's attributed to Jack the Ripper. It's Martha Tabern. And she's stabbed in the throat, lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach. And there are even more stab wounds to her breast her genitalia, but because the pattern of the wound, the wounds don't seem to be what everybody expects Jack the Ripper to you know, take the stomach, open it up, they're saying this was not him. I disagree. This was Jack the Ripper's first murder, at least in Whitechapel. And he does so in a way where you can see all the rage you can see all the same body parts that he's stabbing. Once he finishes this particular victim, he feels that he hasn't accomplished. He didn't get off. It didn't take him to that level. So that's why he begins to open it up. He didn't disfigure, he didn't destroy the victim to the level that he needed to destroy her to get off. Martha Tavern was his first victim of Whitechapel. And the experts that supposedly know Jack the Ripper and still can't name him say that this murder is not attributed to him. They're absolutely wrong. This is Jack the Ripper at a very early stage in Whitechapel where he's unsure of himself. He doesn't know who lives where, how the streets are, what type of police environment. He doesn't know the environment as well as he should. So he's very quick about what he does. It doesn't mean he hasn't killed before. Because 
in Whitechapel, and he hasn't taken his murders to the level he wants to. And here's where he's beginning to start. So in terms of serial killers who don't get caught, but just run the kind of natural progression of what they do, do they all have this dark period where they stop for a few years, or do just some of them have that? Some of them have that. A lot of them become almost spree killers. They're serial killers, but they kill very quickly. Richard Ramirez comes is a very good example. He kills very quickly, twice a night, uh, every month, every week, um, until they get caught. Jack the Ripper is a bit like a Richard Ramirez. He does so very often. Six murders in less than three months. Um, I know people say only five, but Martha, uh, Martha uh, Tabor is the first one. Uh, so there's six. It's highly possible maybe this was following some kind of dark period or that he just moved, you know, from a, a nearby country or just another town, right? That he had been doing a lot of this already. Absolutely. But let's, let's please remember that this is 1888. You can't jump on a freaking airplane and fly over to London or, or New York. Travel is very slow. It's by buggy, by horse. I don't know. There are trains, but it's not very, you know, it's not happening all the time. You can jump on a ship, but it takes weeks and months to get somewhere. So it's not that easy. So there are only three possibilities of what happened to Jack the Ripper. Number one, because he was in Whitechapel, there are so many gangs, there are so many murders, that while he was out, somebody killed him. Number two, as you suggested, he moved on to a different place, possibly in a different country. And thirdly, um, which is also very probable that Jack the Ripper was imprisoned for something else and died in prison. Which one do I believe of all the three? They're all very probable, but I believe that Jack the Ripper was killed. And that's why he didn't continue. Because after Mary Jane Kelly there are no reported murders with that type of ferocity, that signature, ever again. At least that we know of. And by the way that he killed, he would not have changed his MO or his signature for a lot. It would have, been, it would have stayed virtually the same. It would have evolved because I can see it evolved very quickly. But not so much that we wouldn't have heard of it again. So... Jack the Ripper, in my opinion, was murdered on the streets of Whitechapel, and that's why he didn't continue. So if someone had caught on to what he was doing, and of course there's a lot of tough characters and gangs like there are in any ghetto, you know, the, the same reason that he was allowed to get away with a lot of these murders, it may have been easier for someone to say, well, let's just murder him instead of going through the police. Why don't we just nip this... Well, not nip it in the bud, but why don't we just take care of it ourselves? Well, yeah, but I don't think anybody knew what this guy was. He didn't share his information with people. He's a loner. This guy, his profile is that he works alone. I don't think anybody knew it was him, so they just took him out. I think because he prowled the streets 
and there were vicious gangs on those streets, that someone just saw him and thought, huh, victim. They robbed him and they killed him. I mean, that's speculation. He could have been put in prison. He could have moved on, gone to a different country. But I think he was murdered. Um, look, a lot of people think, well, look, he could be killed because there were six more murders in that period. Rose Millet, strangulation, wasn't him. Alice McKenzie, stabbed twice in the throat. <sighs> Maybe, no. Um, and they did arrest a couple guys that they believe was a ripper. Francis Coles, James Adler. They were arrested for the murders, but they were let go because lack of, of, uh, of evidence. So I just really believe that he was murdered. I don't think they knew it was him, but had he gotten to prison, he would have gotten out and he would have continued. So, yeah, so, you know, we really have to look at all these things. But remember this too, man. There was another killer at that time that didn't get even one one hundredth of the, you know, media attention that Jack Rupert got. He was known as the Torso Killer. Did you know about that? The Torso Killer? Yeah. He would take the heads and just leave the torso of the body in different places. So, with the suspects, there's too many to name, but I noticed a pattern that a lot of them were local people who were probably schizophrenic, who had kind of violent hallucinations. And, you know, they were institutionalized, the murders then stopped. A lot of people say, you know, maybe it was these guys, you know, because a lot of serial killers are schizophrenic. You can be severely mentally ill and still, you know, navigate that world. But I don't think that's what you're going for. I mean, what kind of profile do we have? You said this was a loner who was pretty smart, but maybe not educated. Is there anything else you can draw from? Yeah, absolutely. So the whole thing that he was a schizophrenic, mentally deranged guy is completely wrong. This guy was highly evolved. He was intelligent between the ages of around 27 to around maybe 40 at the most. At this time, people didn't live very long. So 40 would have been my top number for a person to be as physical as he was. Um, but here... Look, people with schizophrenia, all these mental issues, would not have been able to get close to these women so much that they allowed him into their home or that one into their home. He had to be able to be charming enough to get close to them. So he wasn't mentally deranged. He was not putting institution for mentally crazy people. That does not fit the profile. What does fit the profile is, and we have to see what this is all about, all the murders took place within a mile of each other, actually a lot less, within 500 yards of each other, all the murders took place. Okay? He is a ritual killer. He is not satisfied with just killing. He has to express his signature. It's about sexual dominance, although he's impotent. He expresses that dominance by removing the organs. Uh, the victims are substitute for women that he hates, for women that he's he had bad experiences with, sexually because again he's impotent and he would not have stood out as disturbed uh, he's physically strong he has no surgical experience 
And I would go as far as saying that he was charming. What about the letter? Assuming that he wrote the From Hell letter with the kidney, what does that tell us about this guy? Correct. So there's, obviously there's two letters. One of them is Dear Boss, the Dear Boss letter. And he, in that letter, or who writes, says that he's going to clip one of the ears from the next victim. And he actually does that. Uh, the, the, The woman that was the second victim that same night Catherine knows her her ear was in fact taken off uh, some people have speculated that in a frenzy he accidentally cut it up no so yeah that is a really head scratcher and I don't know how to put a real uh, logical explanation other than to say that the dear boss letter was in fact written by Jack the Ripper and that letter, if you read it, is written by a man who is highly intelligent, and he taunts the police. And we see that in modern-day serial killers as well. Um, there is the letter from hell. You have 60 seconds remaining. That has the preserved kidney. I think that letter is a fake, because he says in that letter that he fried the other part of the kidney, and he ate it. So I don't believe them. The only letter I believe was written by Jack the Ripper was the Dear Boss letter. So is there anything we can infer about his profession from any of this language? Wasn't it written in kind of a commoner um, tone, the language of it, or was it more aristocratic? Yeah, I, I think he was faking that he was aristocratic. I think it was a very, he's a common guy. He was a guy who worked a normal job. I couldn't tell you what that job is, but it was a physical job. Okay, so there are very few jobs in a white chapel. And if he is coming in from somebody else, it can be anything. But if he lived, if he did live in white chapel, as is suggested, there are very few jobs there that are available. Like butcher, you know, some people say dentist, surgeon, um, it could be any of those things. I don't think that he's any of those. What I think Jack the Ripper was, I think Jack the Ripper was a cop. He was law enforcement. What makes you think that? Because his rituals. He uses a knife or a straight razor and he never takes something that he didn't do before. It's always the same. It's the kidney. It's the, um, the abdominal section. He places it over the shoulder on the right foot. He mutilates the faces. Those could be anything. And he's able to do so in such a short period of time in that area where there are beat cops everywhere. There are vigilance committees. He knows the area. He knows where law enforcement are. He knows where the investigation's going. I believe that Jack the Ripper is a cop. It's just what I believe. 
it's, it's a gut feeling that a guy in that area, in that time frame in history, he had to be either a cop or a person in the city ordinance or the city, but I think it was a cop. And I think that he was killed somewhere else and no one ever heard from him again. And that would make him more likely to kind of insert himself into the investigation, you know, meddle with it by, you know, contacting authorities and, and stuff like that. Usually, I think people that do that are in administrative positions, law enforcement, ex-military, etc. You know, something regimented like that, right? Yeah, because his, his killings look like a regiment. He never misses. He always does the same thing. Well, he evolves a little bit, but for the most part, he's trying to kill particular organs, the stomach, the kidneys, the heart. It's, it's all these organs, the genitalia. He, he never misses a beat. He's very organized. He's extremely organized. I believe he was a cop. Yeah, so that's the story of Jack the Ripper. Extremely valid guy. A lot of myths about him, supernatural guy, all this stuff. Um, he was a killer, more than likely a cop, and he met a probably very violent demise in that area or very close to that area. It was never heard of again. Uh, I like the case. I think it, it, it allows, allows the imagination to really uh, flower, and it's a great case to talk about. I mean, Really, no one can say that they're right or wrong about it. Um, I think I'm on the trail of him. I think I, I think I know um, that he was a cop. I believe these things uh, because of the patterns and what he did and what he did. Um, but we're never going to find out who he really was. Too much time has passed. Evidence has been destroyed. Uh, there was a fire in the police station that mysteriously, when the evidence was kept, and we're never going to find out who he is. So this is going to lead people speculate about this guy and make movies and documents for the rest of our lives probably in your future until someone else comes along and takes our imaginations to the next place but yeah this is a case I like I'm glad we did it uh, you know I appreciate that you guys listened yeah if any listeners have you know one of these hundreds of suspects in mind if you cross reference it with what Bill said you know, if, if you think there's something that's worthy of bringing to our attention, then send us a message and let us know, and, and we'll check it out. You know, based on what he said, maybe we could at least, I don't know, get, get narrow something down to a, a plausible suspect. Who knows? Anyway, we'll be back next time with a new story on Death Row Diaries. So, until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Aguero. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can depend on it. Have a good day.